and welcome back, Ross Watch Nation. This is the Trash Man, and you are watching the Garbage Grab. On behalf of RossWatch.com, we have all the fantasy information you'll ever need to dominate your leagues from the draft throughout the playoffs. Today, I have for you the fantasy fallout for week one going into week two of the NFL season. So, I'm going to preface this by saying, in the fantasy fallout, I'm going to touch on some of the major players that you already know about from these games, just because some of this information you can't live without. But I know that you guys are fantasy aficionados, so I'm I'm going to forego some of the more obvious information here and talk about some of the lesser-known players, some of the lesser-known information that's going to help you out moving forward. So let's go ahead and get started. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. And did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. Or if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. So join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code ROSTER to activate the offer. That's promo code R-O-S-T-E-R. So visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. So the Packers at the Bears on Thursday night, Packers won this one 10-3, the 100th meeting of these two teams. On the Packers' side of the ball, Aaron Jones is the clear lead back in Green Bay. He outtouched Jamal Williams 14-7, to and he looks like the better back, to be honest, but you guys already knew that. Geronimo Allison had zero targets and was an afterthought in the Packers' offense after many thought he would play a vital role as their starting wide receiver. Perhaps it was a matter of game flow, but when guys like Mercedes Lewis and Robert Tonyan are getting more targets than Allison, that's a bit disconcerting for his outlook. On the other side of the ball, Mike Davis was the de facto lead back on Thursday night with 11 touches to David Montgomery's 7 and Tariq Cohen's 8. None of those 8 were carries, mind you. This kind of workload puts a major wrench in Montgomery's owner's works as he was drafted as a high-end running back, too, with upside by most. It might be the case that the Bears are just easing Montgomery in, but he's a flex at best until further noticed. Davis should be added in most formats, as he's just as viable, it would seem, at least at the current moment. Anthony Miller, golden son of roster watch, saw one target Thursday night on the way to a fantasy goose egg. His storyline is similar to Allison in that much more was expected of him coming into the season, only for him to disappear on game day. Maybe his ankle is still bothering him, or he's being eased in after missing most of camp with the injury. 
In any case, the Bears' offense was pretty stagnant, so maybe they'll course correct next week and use him more often going forward. We can only hope. He's a hold for now. On to the next game, Titans at Browns. Titans won this one 43-13. Derrick Henry feasted 161 yards and two touchdowns. He was everything the Titans hoped for and more on Sunday's lead back. (laughs) It must be bittersweet for them, realizing that he could have been doing this three years ago. We knew it. We knew he was capable of it. I'm just surprised that they didn't. Deion Lewis had only six touches to Henry's 20 and is one bad to mediocre game away from being droppable, in my opinion. Rookie wide receiver A.J. Brown led the Titans in receiving three receptions for 100 yards despite getting 23 fewer snaps than Corey Davis, who had 48 snaps and zero receptions. You can't drop Davis yet. He was covered by all-pro Denzel Ward, but you need to run and add Brown where possible. He displayed an uncanny knack for getting open, and he's available in a whopping 97% of leagues right now. Marcus Mariota, 248 yards, three touchdowns. He had a solid game, but I'm not yet sold on him as a viable weekly starter yet. He completed 14 of only 24 attempts. And a lot of his yards came on a few plays that were broken open by his pass catchers. On the other side of the ball, Baker Mayfield, who was talking a lot of trash about Daniel Jones and his suspect play, floundered after making a strong start on Sunday, ending up throwing three interceptions on the, on the day to just one touchdown. His offensive line did take some hits. They lost the lineman. A lineman, a lineman to an egregious penalty, and another to injury. But Mayfield had a cruddy last preseason game, too, so this is a bad look for him. He should have an easier go against the Jets on Monday night, but you might look to pick up some insurance at the QB position if you own Mayfield. OBJ, 11 targets, 7 receptions, 77 yards. Looked no worse for the wear coming off a hit pointer, and he should be good to go next Monday. On to the next game, Rams at Panthers. Rams won this one 30-27. Todd Gurley had 15 touches to Malcolm Brown's 11 on Sunday, and though he logged 103 yards on the day, Brown had a respectable 53, and more importantly, and more importantly had two touchdowns. Gurley may perform more like a running back two this season, at least until the Rams have to make a playoff push. Brown needs to be added in all formats as a weekly flex option until further notice. Daryl Henderson ran once for zero yards on Sunday. Is it really running if you get zero yards? And he isn't startable in fantasy. He's strictly handcuffed material at this point. On the other side of the ball, Cam Newton was a bit rusty on Sunday through the air, but more concerningly, He ran the ball only three times for negative two yards. Is that running out of there? The veteran quarterback relied mostly on Christian McCaffrey to move the ball. And when that's the case, you're going to have low production days like Newton did on this occasion. Newton's health is fine, though. His shoulder's fine, and he'll look to bounce back in what should be a cherry matchup with the Bucs this week. 
Tight end Greg Olson had only 39 yards on the day, but he was third in targets with nine to McCaffrey, who had 11, and DJ Moore, who had 10. He's old and he's injury prone, but Olsen is owned in only 65% of leagues, so he needs to be added if you need help at the tight end position. Curtis Samuel, a preseason favorite of ours and pretty much anyone else who's been paying attention to the preseason, had a ho-hum outing, three receptions, 32 yards, with the Rams shortening the field all day. He's likely to be a boomer bust play for much of the season. But Samuel should be more boom this week against the lowly Bucks, So good for him. On to the next game. Chiefs at Jaguars. Chiefs won this one 40-26. Sean McCoy outgained Damian Williams on the ground 81 yards to 26 yards on three fewer carries. He had 10. Should be noted that Williams was in on the goal line, though. So that's good news for him and his owners. Look for McCoy's usage to increase, though, as he picks up more of the playbook. But don't expect Williams to disappear. He'll be an integral part of the offense moving forward, especially with Tyreek Hill out for at least the next few games with a collarbone injury. Speaking of that collarbone injury, Sammy Watkins exploded as the go-to wide receiver with Hill going down. Watkins had nine receptions, 198 yards, and three touchdowns, his best day of his entire career. He's a wide receiver one as long as Hill is out and perhaps beyond. Mikol Hardman did little in his NFL debut, but the loss of Hill will free up some targets for him. He's worth a look in deep or daily leagues while Hill is out. On the other side of the ball, I spoke about Gardner Minshew a couple of weeks ago on my YouTube Garbage Crab segment as a serviceable option if Nick Foles were to go down, and now I'm taking 1-900 calls as a Jamaican fortune teller. I am... Jamaican. I guess remotely my mom's Jamaican, so that's kind of true. In all seriousness, Minshew looked solid on the day. 22 for 25, 275 yards and two touchdowns. Though the Chiefs defense is far from an elite unit, it's hard to say if you should downgrade Jags pass catchers, as I wasn't sure how well they would fare with Foles under center to be honest. What we do know is that Foles is on injured reserve with a designation to return, so he's out for probably eight weeks. I wouldn't stream Minshew just yet, but a strong performance against a tough Texans defense this week will go a long way. Former Steeler backup Josh Dobbs has been added to the roster in Jacksonville just in case. Chris Conley led the Jags in reception, six receptions, 97 yards, one touchdown on Sunday, and still flourished when Minshew came under center. Both he and DJ Shark, four receptions, 146 yards, and one touchdown, had career days against Kansas City. They warrant additions in deeper and daily formats, but I'm not even going to think about starting them consistently until we see them produce against a decent defense like the Texans this week. Nick Foles loves his slot receivers. D.D. Westbrook stood to benefit from that connection. We've yet to see whether Minshew acts in kind, but it was encouraging that one of his touchdowns did go to Westbrook on Sunday. D.D. remains a wide receiver three until further notice. On to the next game, Ravens at Dolphins. Ravens won this one 59-10. Quarterback Lamar Jackson silenced his doubters, who said he couldn't throw the ball with a Madden-like NFL 
four yard, five touchdown effort on Sunday. He only attempted 20 passes, but he connected on 17 of them. Jackson benefited from facing a Dolphin defense that is at rock bottom and rebuilding. But if he can perform half that well through the air consistently while adding his usual rushing yards, he'll be QB1 viable on a weekly basis. He's well worth a start against Arizona this week. Don't be fooled by Gus Edwards' 17 carries in this one. The Ravens had the game well in hand when he took over in the backfield. He is worth owning, but he's playing behind Mark Ingram at the goal line, and I don't see the Ravens crushing their future opponents as readily as they did the Dolphins. Justice Hill and Edwards both worked on the opening drive for the Ravens in addition to Ingram. So this is a committee with Ingram serving as the Thunder to Hill's Lightning with Edwards Edwards serving in a cleanup role or short yardage role too. Hill will get more action in more competitive games, so don't drop him yet. We kind of have to take most of the Ravens' offensive players' performances with a grain of salt considering the bogus team that they played, but with four catches for 147 yards and two touchdowns is hard to ignore in the case of Marquise Brown, the rookie. He flashed Deshaun Jackson-like field-stretching ability multiple times on Sunday. He's only 30% owned, so add him where you can. He should have ample opportunity to make big plays against the Patrick Peterson absent Cardinal squad this week. Tight end Mark Andrews' performance, eight receptions, 108 yards, and one touchdown, may be more of what we can expect on a regular basis from him, though he did do most of his damage with Robert Griffin III under center. Andrews will be in the tight end one conversation this week, though the Cardinals generally keep tight ends under wraps. On the other side of the ball, it's bad news for Dolphins running backs. They're probably going to be playing from behind a lot this season, so you may see similar lines to the six touch, 27 yards for Kenyon Drake, and six touches for 12 yards for Kalen Balage in the future. It's just one game, but this isn't an encouraging sign. I wouldn't go dropping either player just yet, but if someone offers you a trade, you might strongly consider it. Good news for Dolphins wide receivers, though. They're probably going to be playing from behind a lot this season, so Devontae Parker and Preston Williams may retain considerable value, even with the Dolphins taking in such exquisite fashion. Both of these guys should be added if you need wide receiver help. From the looks of things, Miami is going to trail the Pats early in Week 2, so they could get a lot of run. Maybe garbage time run, but it's action all the same. On to the next game, the Falcons at the Vikings. Falcons lost this one 12-28. Edo Smith outgained Devontae Freeman 31 yards to 19 yards on the ground in this one, which isn't a huge deal, but the fact that they seem to be in an even timeshare is. Smith is owned in only 20% of leagues, so that needs to change. I'm not off of Freeman at all, but the fact that the Falcons offensive line had such a hard time opening lanes for him makes me temper my expectations for what could have been or what still may be a breakout season now that Tevin Coleman is no longer a Falcon. Mohamed Sanu 
is still alive and well, apparently. He had six receptions for 57 yards. He's no one's savior, but he can be flexed in PPR formats in a pinch. On the other side of the ball, Kirk Cousins only had 10 passing attempts on Sunday. So if you're worried about Vikings pass catchers, don't be. The Vikings controlled the game on the ground yesterday, running the ball 38 times. Alexander Madison, back up to Dalvin Cook, flirted with double-digit touches against the Falcons, coming away with 49 yards and nine touches. He's a high-end handcuff for the oft-injured Cook, and he could work his way into standalone value if he can keep this kind of play up. On to the next game, the Bills at, at the Jets. Bills won this one 17-16. Rookie running back Devin Singletary had nine touches, 98 yards. He didn't make an appearance until halfway through, over halfway through the third quarter, but he quickly made his presence known, leading the Bills in rushing and catching the second most balls on the day with five. Frank Gore doesn't appear to be much of a threat to his workload, and TJ Yeldon was nowhere to be seen against the Jets. Singletary is still unknown in 25% of leagues, so go get him. It's early, but it looks like John Brown can be trusted as a bill. Seven receptions, 123 yards, and one touchdown. He's still unknown in half of fantasy leagues, so make sure to add him where you can. Cole Beasley had a decent game as well, five receptions for 40 yards. But I'm not sniffing around him, except in deeper PPR formats. On the other side of the ball, if you were fretting over whether Le'Veon Bell would get the kind of action he did in Pittsburgh, fret no more. He had nine targets on the day in addition to 17 carries for 92 yards and a touchdown. No other Jets runner had more than two carries on the day. Jamison Crowder had a jaw-dropping 17 targets on Sunday for 14 catches for 99 yards. We may be looking at a contender for league leader in receptions when all is said and done. He's owned in less than half of leagues. So you know what to do there. On to the next game. Redskins at Eagles. Redskins lost this one 27-32. Running back Darius Geis came away from Sunday's game with a torn meniscus. He just can't win right now. In his right knee. And it's not the one he injured last year, thankfully. He's expected to miss a few weeks. So now is the time to pick up Adrian Peterson, who's only 38% owned. And or Chris Thompson, who is only 13% owned. Thompson, by the way, led the Redskins in targets with 10, and three players tied for second behind him with seven, but only one of those players caught five of them for 125 yards and a touchdown, and that was rookie Terry McLaurin. He's a must-add in all formats. If Jordan Reed can't go in week two with his concussion, his ongoing concussion drama, Vernon Davis needs to be owned and he needs to be streamed. On the other side of the ball, Miles Sanders led Philly in carries with 11. Jordan Howard led in yards per carry with 7.3. And Darren Sproles led in yards with 63. If that isn't a committee, I don't know what is. Sanders still has the best outlook, in my opinion. And it might be worth throwing out some trade offers to his owners, who might be anxious after this first game. Deshaun Jackson looked like he was 23 maybe even 22 on the field Sunday. He had eight receptions, 154 yards, and two touchdowns. A potential top 10 receiver from here on out. Jackson is only owned in 65% of leagues. So, run 
not as fast as he can, but run as fast as you can to go get him. On to the next game, the Colts at the Chargers. Colts lost this one 24-30. The Colts may not have Andrew Luck, but they do have a dominant offensive line. So Marlon Mack is safe in fantasy for now, even with Jacoby Brissett under center, who actually didn't look that bad. Mack is a running back one. Unfortunately, no Colt except for Mack and T.Y. Hilton. Looks like they're worth, worth earning in fantasy right now. Naheem Hines did have eight touches, but he did little with them, only 17 yards on the day. On the other side of the ball, Melvin who? It took two backs to replace Gordon, but Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson both did admirable jobs in carrying the load on Sunday with over 200 yards and two touchdowns of combined offense. Eckler is obviously the 1A to Jackson's distant 1B, but both need to be owned in all formats. Mike Williams, he might be my disappointment of the weekend. I had very high hopes for him. He literally limped out of the game in the fourth quarter. No word yet on his condition, but his two receptions of 29-yard performance is enough to make me sit him this week. On to the next game, Bengals at Seahawks. Bengals lost this one by a hair, 20-21. Joe Mixon came away with a low-grade ankle sprain in his day-to-day. Gio Bernard came in in relief for Mixon, and he needs to be added as a potential workhorse in Week 2, should Mixon not be able to go. John Ross was the definition of boomer bust within the context of one single game as he traded off big play for ball drop throughout the game, it seemed. Even so, he came away with seven receptions, 158 yards, and two touchdowns, so it goes without saying that he needs to be added in all formats as long as A.J. Green is sidelined. On the other side of the ball, Tyler Lockett stayed with Salvage with one play, a 44-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. It was his first target of the day, which is scary. The Seahawks are going to live and die by the run, so Lockett will have some days like this, some nail biters, so be prepared. DK Metcalf had four catches for 89 yards on the day to lead the Seahawks in receiving. It was a great line for his first game, but the overall lack of passing offense worries me some. He's big and fast enough to make his own plays, though, so he should be fairly consistent in that Seattle offense. On to the next game, the Lions at the Cardinals, our first tie of the season, 27-27. and 27. on Johnson had only five more carries than C.J. Anderson on Sunday. He had 16, so the rumors of Johnson carrying the backfield may have been just that. His 61-yard total on a day when the Lions ran 80 plays, 80 plays leaves much to be desired. He'll get a good shot to redeem himself against the Chargers team that just got gutted by Marlon Mack. Anderson can be added in deeper formats, though he's probably going to be largely touchdown dependent in fantasy. Marvin Jones, who had four targets on the day, was the odd man out as TJ Hawkinson who had nine targets, Danny Amendola, who had 13 targets, and Kenny Galladay, who had nine targets, all out-targeted him on Sunday. It could be very well that these guys trade off who, who gets a short end of the stick every week, so I wouldn't panic if I was a Marvin Jones owner just yet. I would go pick up Hawkinson and Amendola 
with a quickness, though. On the other side of the ball, Kyler Murray turned his day around after starting out terrible for the first three quarters of play. He had 29 completions, 308 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception on the day. He found a safety blanket in Larry Fitzgerald, though Christian Kirk had 12 targets on the day. He faces Baltimore this week, so I'm not streaming him just yet. Rookie wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson had five receptions for 46 yards on 10 targets on Sunday. It was a strong line for the fourth receiver in that offense, but all bets are off with Michael Crabtree coming to the fold next week. I'd say Johnson is worth an immediate add in Dynasty and deeper PPR formats, though. I like him a lot as a possession receiver. On to the next game, the Giants at the Cowboys. Giants lost this one 17-35. Eli Manning had a decent line, 304 yards and one touchdown, but most of it was done through checkdowns. He had a 6.8 yards <laughs> per attempt, and he lost a fumble. Daniel Jones did come in on the last drive, but he didn't do himself any favors, so Eli is safe for now. Sterling Shepard is in the percussion, concussion protocol, so do yourself a favor and pick up Cody Latimer in his stead. Latimer went for eight targets, three receptions, and 74 yards on Sunday. And he would be in line for a lot of work should Shepard not be able to play this week. On the other side of the ball, for a team predicated on the run, the Cowboys sure did throw it a lot on Sunday. Though the Cowboys did say that they would limit Ezekiel Elliott's touches. And they were true to their word. Elliott had only 13 carries, the same amount as Tony Pollard, mind you. Don't expect that kind of split moving forward, though, as the limitation was purely precautionary, as Elliott missed the entire preseason. Michael Gallup, second-year wide receiver, made a quantum leap on Sunday with seven receptions for 158 yards. He got, the, he got behind the Giants' secondary at will, it seemed. And I would say he's poised to do the same against the Washington Redskins' secondary this week that just got torched by Deshaun Jackson. Gallup is still unowned in 30% of leagues. Randall Cobb, he was in my garbage grab bag on Sunday morning, and he didn't disappoint. Four receptions, 64 yards, and a touchdown. He looked healthy and powerful. So pick him up in your PPR leagues. On to the next game, the 49ers at the Buccaneers. 49ers won this one 31-17 after a slow start. Tevin Coleman sprained his ankle on Sunday, and he's expected to miss time, making Raheem Mostert a sneaky add. Mostert had nine carries for 40 yards in relief of Coleman and had a better yards per carry, 4.4, than Matt Breida did. He had 2.5. I'm not saying I would start Mostert over Breida just yet, but I would say that Mostert deserves a long look. Jimmy Garoppolo looked about a suspect on Sunday as he's looked throughout the entire preseason. 161 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. George Kittle was the only 49er to see more than three targets. He had 10, and he's the only 49er pass catcher. Dante Pettis is dealing with a calf injury that I'm touching outside of daily, daily leagues right now. 
Richie James, wide receiver for the 49ers, only played because Trent Taylor was out with a fit injury. But he parlayed that into a 39-yard touchdown. James is worth watching this week as Taylor has no timetable for a return. Mike Evans, on the other side of the ball, his 28-yard debacle can largely be blamed on an illness that affected him this week. He should ride his ship against the Panthers. Ronald Jones, 14 touches, 93 yards, was easily the Bucks' best back on Sunday. He also out-touched Peyton Barber 14-10. to 10. I don't know that Barber has lost his job yet, but Jones should be added if you need running back help. He may have finally turned a corner. We can only hope. Keep an eye on running back Dare Ogunbowale. I can only hope I'm saying that right. He had five targets on the way to four reception, 33-yard line. He's been talked up all preseason as the third down back in Tampa. And with Barber squandering his chances, he could see more action going forward. On to the next game. And the last game that I'm going to get to in this fallout. The Steelers at the Patriots. Steelers lost this one 3-33 to in a blowout. Nothing much of note happened on behalf of the Steelers offense on Sunday night as the Pats defense played lights out all night. Dante Moncrief did lead the team with 10 targets, though he did very little with them. He dropped more balls than he caught, which was three. James Washington, who had two receptions and 51 yards, looked like the better receiver most of the time. So you might want to watch him or pick him up if you have a deep lead. Tom Brady on the other side of the ball still unowned in 7% of leagues which is a lot considering his potential now that Antonio Brown and Demarius Thomas are on the team. Rex Burkhead had eight carries to Sonny Michelle's 15 and actually led, actually tied him in touches, actually, with 15. His role will diminish when Brown becomes active, but he could retain a flex-worthy role in PPR formats. Last but not least, Philip Dorsett led the Patriots with 95 yards and two touchdowns on four catches, but those might as well have been Antonio Brown's yards. And Demarius Thomas's addition will probably only devalue Dorsett further, so that is probably going to be or go down as his best game of the season. Although he's a good kid and he's super fast, so... I hope that's not his best game of the season, but in all reality, that probably is. Anyways, that's been the fantasy fallout going into week two. I know it was a lot of information. It's going to all be posted up on rosterwatch.com. You can go check it out there and make your moves from that. Anyways, this is the Trash Man, and this has been the Garbage Crab. On behalf of rosterwatch.com, be ready. Be ready.